Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. Welcome everybody to the Defining Time Show on Fifth Wrist Radio. Fifth Wrist is all about brutally honest watch reviews for the community and it's been set up by enthusiasts and for enthusiasts. So please like and subscribe to the podcast because it all helps and if you have already subscribed, thank you. We really, really appreciate it. And don't forget to head over to the Fifth Wrist website and uh, review one of your watches. It's a lot of fun. You don't have to be a superstar journalist to do it. Um, you know, we're not going to hold it against you. Um, but yeah, give us your honest opinions of your watches and that's what it's all about. Um, so my name's Anthony. I'm from Defining Time and I'm joined by my co-host Vinny. Vinny, how are you going today, mate? Very well today. Thank you, Anth. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Really, really good. I'm, uh, I'm really excited because we have an awesome show lined up for tonight and we have an amazing guest. Um, so without further ado, it's a pleasure to introduce everyone to Michael Holton-Ricks of Holton-Ricks Watches. How are you today? Well, I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me, and I look forward to the show. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Just in the pre-conversations we're having, it is. Uh, I, I'm all about this conversation. So thank you so much for making the time to, to join us and, and have a chat. So today we're going to talk about your watches and your design language. Um, you might even have a sneaky question that you might want to ask us as well, which is cool. Uh, but before we do that, we'll, we'll start with some wrist checks. Uh, and maybe some drink checks, but it's a bit early in the morning for you uh, in the Netherlands, but that's okay. We'll see how we go. Um, Vinny, we'll start with you. What are you wearing on your wrist today and what are you drinking? Sure. So on my wrist, I've got my vintage King Seiko 4402 and I'm drinking. I'm back to my old reliable and that is Black Label Whiskey. So nice. enjoying that one. Very again. good. Very good. Uh, and uh, Michael, what's on your wrist today and what are you drinking? Well, I'm working on my uh, Ornament 2, so I'm wearing the Ornament 2 at the at a prototype at this moment. Um, I wear it every day, um, and it, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, nice. Uh, I'm drinking coffee, and I have a tea <laughs> at the same time uh, to, to keep wow. me awake. Uh, and, um, well, normally when it were evening right now, then, uh, uh, then I would... But then I would drink a uh, Roku gin, which is uh, which is a Japanese gin, which I really dig Beautiful. lately. It's very well, fruity. Nice. And, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, it's too early to drink. Uh, one of our other uh, co-hosts from another show, he would say it's never too early to drink. But for us uh, normal <laughs> people, then uh, it is. And I am wearing my, uh, my Stova Flieger. Uh, wow. which I purchased while I was in Germany last year with, on a trip with my dad. We went all over Germany and Switzerland to some car things and some watch things, and it was just a lot of fun. But I actually got to pick this one up from the manufacturer. I've got it on a green khaki NATO, um, and I'm drinking a Lafroig single mm. malt whiskey, um, beautifully peaty and smoky. It's, uh, it's really, really nice. It's my so favorite whiskey. Oh, the Select. So this is the Select um, uh, created from oak cask. And yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love it. I love it. So you like the smoky one? Yeah, I really like Laproic. It's, uh, it, yeah. well, yeah. 
Yeah, good. Well, maybe we can do a podcast on whiskey later. <laughs> um, all right. So let's uh, let's get into it. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you came to to making watches. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for the introduction. Also, um, I have uh, I have always wanted to become an architect uh, since I was eight years old. Um, because I was always drawing, so so like drawing and making or creating things in my mind was uh, was the most important thing in my life, I guess. Um, and I went to study in Delft, uh, so that's also the reason why I established my company in Delft. Um, and during my studies, I uh, well, I, there were two main things. Uh, things I started working at an architectural firm from my second years of studies. Um, and I became interested in classic clothing. So like how clothings are, uh, cl- like jackets are made and how stitches are done, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I basically, I got, got quite disappointed about architecture, uh, the architectural practice, because the role of the architect isn't what I had dreamed of. So I was thinking, um, what what kind of path in my professional life would I have uh, would would I have to walk uh, b- before I get to the point where I want to be and that well I I just got disappointed in that uh, uh, maybe maybe didn't really see the chance of making the things I find beautiful and I find important in in architecture um, and and through my clothing hobby I I thought I needed a, a pocket watch. It was also in my second year uh, uh, when in my studies, and um, and I bought this uh, this vintage pocket watch uh, from Omega, and I didn't know the brand at the time, um, but as soon as it arrived, I opened the case back and I saw the movement, and I was like, wow, this is like the most the most fascinating thing I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's, it's, uh, it's still, I, I still keep the watch as, uh, as an important piece in my collection. It's from 1929. And, um, uh, yeah, it's still, it's still beautiful. I look at it at the moment. It's on my desk right now. Um, is that one of those, um, is that one of the Olympic ones or was that from 1919? No. I can't remember. Uh, no, I think that was earlier indeed. I, I'm not earlier. sure. Yeah, um, no, they are beautiful. Yeah, it's they are so elegant and so simplistic at the same time, and and uh, and the movement. Well, uh, uh, obviously, back in those days, the the manufacturers uh, they were very proud of that they were capable of producing their own movements. So uh, you had a big differentiation between the companies in their uh, in their bridge layout design. Um, and Omega had a very strong uh, uh, until the 1960s. They had a very strong uh, language in well design language in their movements. Uh, you can immediately rec- recognize the shapes uh, in, in the shapes of their of the bridges that it's an Omega. And 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 that combination between technique and design for me was uh, the trigger to uh, to start making or collecting watches in the first place and then designing my own watch because through my studies I had a lot of skills in, 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 in technical programs also um, yeah so that, that was actually the, the, the background and uh, and I discovered also that that in in watches you can actually you can look at it as a piece of architecture but then on a very small scale so I, I, I think I'm still kind of an architect in that sense uh, yeah, <laughs> which 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 makes it easier for me to accept that I had not become an architect. 
<laughs> well, sort of. I, I think I think that's a really good way to do it because, um, and we will talk about this a little bit later around the design. And, and I know that that Vinny wanted to talk to you about your design language, but that's very cool that you've been able to connect um, architectural design with watchmaking, and and you certainly have because I think for and before we continue, I, I encourage everyone to please go onto Instagram and and look up um, uh, Holton Rick's watches and have a look at the case design because it's it's just amazing and in, in a minute we're going to talk about how these cases are actually made because it's just mind-blowing um, and so innovative um, but uh, so then then what made you decide to okay I'm just gonna I'm gonna start making watches now and, and let's go <laughs> yeah a simple a simply strong urge to collect watches was so strong that it was like I, it was insane, right? So I, I had a, a student budget, and I worked at. Uh, I, I worked. Uh, uh, with, I had my side job, so everything I earned, uh, and also my student's loan, I invested in um, in broken watches. So I bought everything from eBay, like almost oh, yeah. every day. I had a package coming in from uh, from somebody <laughs> with, with 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 another watch, basically. And um, uh, this is also the reason why I uh, I I. I well, I, I'm self-taught uh, watchmaker is because I, I needed to restore them. Otherwise, I couldn't buy the pieces I want uh, because I didn't have the money. So I needed to buy them uh, in, a, in a well in a in a poor uh, condition and then restore them. But then, so I, I think at a certain moment, I had about 200 or 300 watches, like 200 working and 300 uh, uh, like in total, and then. It was it was insane, especially for a student, right? <laughs> I, I like yeah. all the money I, I I spend more than I earn, also. So that was also like a, an ill condition, and um, uh, and and suddenly I got this watch, and I I, I can remember that vividly that I, I received this watch. I opened the package and I, I looked at the watch and I thought, oh nice, and I I just put it in the cabin, or in my uh, uh, showcase. So. So and th then I thought, well, is this the joy I'm going to have from collecting these pieces, right? Uh, uh, that that was the question I asked myself, and I thought, well, no, no, now it's over. Now I now I need to do something which uh, which further develops my interest in watches, and that was uh, that was uh, to create a watch myself. And um, uh, the nice thing about collecting broken watches is that you you, you are forced to study how they are made. Um, so I knew. All kinds of constructions of uh, how movements are put into uh, into the case, etc. Um, so, th so that helped me a lot. So, uh, that that was actually the trigger. It was in uh, 2013. Um, wow! And so you've you've created a little bit of a stir in the watch uh, industry in the way that uh, you 3D print your cases. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, you've just talked a little bit about then how it all happened. You're collecting watches. You started to, you know, pull them apart, have a look at them, repair them. And then one morning you woke up and just said, ah, yes, I'm going to 3D print watch cases. How did this happen? Yeah. Well, um, I was still studying. So uh, I, I, I graduated in 2016. So uh, the last three years I was working on my design. But in my studies, the 3D printing became a hot topic because the first house to be 3D printed in the world was uh, was announced in, in Amsterdam in 2013. 
um, and uh, and this this made this created kind of a hype in my uh, in my uh, well my university, um, and that was also the time that the university decided to buy uh, to buy their first three uh, D printing machine, which was uh, I, I think uh, like a plaster printing machine or something. Um, and people started making models with 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 3D printing, and I thought, well, that's that's a fascinating um, a fascinating technology because you can you can make shapes uh, which are more spontaneous, more organic, um, and at the same time, uh, be, because I was experimenting, at the same time, I was I was able to make something in a, in well in a unique series, like a, a unique piece. Uh, without having to uh, to invest in uh, in a larger series uh, like you have to do in uh, in, in conventional methods, um, so so I also thought that the investment costs uh, cost would be lower, which eventually turned out to be uh, not true. But <laughs> but um, uh, well, for for me that was that was just a trigger, like in my architectural background, and um, but but very. Uh, it, it's when you think of 3D printing, then you think of plastic printing and uh, and maybe like very very rigid prototypes. Um, so I needed to invest uh, or to investigate what what kind of methods uh, uh, there are on the kind of technologies there are on the market for better quality. And I discovered that there there was a way to print metal. Um, and uh, and I just called one of the manufacturers of those machines, and uh, and they advised me to go to a certain party in Antwerp, and uh, and that guy was an amazing guy. He he said, "This is a brilliant idea, and I'm going to help you." <laughs> Basically, yeah. um, so uh, and and then we did we did we did testings for two and a half years, uh, so like changing the design, and uh, he he really learned me how how to think while designing for this uh, for this technology because it's it. It, it it gives a lot of freedom in design, but at the same time, it also has a lot of boundary conditions. Um, for example, gravity, a very simple thing, or maybe the heat in the uh, the, the heat which um, which uh, is created in the process. Um, all those things you have to take into account and, uh, and make sure that that the result will be will be well good actually. Um, yeah. So that was that was how I started. Yeah, cool. So just going back to, you mentioned 2013 when 3D printing came onto the scene. I remember um, my dad, He when 3D printing became a thing and you could go out and buy your own 3D printer, he was so yeah. excited. And he was like, oh my God, we can we can do anything, Vinny. We can print anything. And I said, okay, well, what are we going to do? And he said, <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what the application is, but isn't, it, isn't the technology exciting? Isn't this brilliant? Yeah. Out of thin air, you can make things. And yeah, I just wanted to sort of ask you how far has 3D printing come? Because I remember you could barely do anything. You'd just be rudimentary shapes um, and it'd be yeah. all plastic. But obviously now in, in your case, you've taken it to this amazing, amazing area where you can 3D print cases. So I just wanted to sort of ask uh, how far has it come? Yeah, well... Um... I agree with you that it's that it's in some sense it's disappointing what you can do with, with 3D printing at this time. Uh, it it exists already from the 1960s of uh, 1970s. Sorry. Um, wow. So it, uh, and then you have the I think it's called PLA printing, which is a, a polymer uh, pro, a printing process, um, and that's still the the most precise uh, technology in plastic printing. 
Um, but but those machines are quite expensive. Even even today, if you want to have a good one, it's still very expensive. So you don't buy such a machine very easily uh, just for for home usage. Um, so so I think the machines which you can buy right very inexpensive and just to test at home most of them are totally shit <laughs> and uh um and, and so i in my workshop i don't have a 3d printer because the 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 metal printing technology is very expensive you have super expensive machines also the powders you use are uh, are made uh, in in a very specific way and and thus very expensive um so like you need to invest about 1 million euros to have a quality machine and to have all the facilities to to actually start and print and then you need somebody who is really capable of working with the machine which is also a, a specialist uh, job actually um so for me the the uh, the, uh, the the investment is too high but this these are the, these are the prices you are thinking about when you want to have a quality machine uh like for for metal printing um so so i thought i'm going to work with specialist parties and uh and i did consider buying a plastic machine just to just to examine shapes uh, uh myself uh, for for my for in my atelier but i didn't buy any because i uh, we have so many on-demand services on the internet which are uh, much better which provide much better quality than than any uh well like home printing machine you can buy um so i'm not in that sense, not believing in uh, 3D printing as a hype or, uh, or well, pe- a lot of people think that I'm printing because of a gimmick, because it's a gimmick. So it's, it's marketing or whatever. Um, but for me, it's, it's, it's rather investigating what, what kind of shapes you can make. And, and, and if, uh, uh, essentially, it means also that I need to use the expenses, uh, expensive uh, uh, technologies in there because you want to have this quality product. And so, uh, yeah, is it I, there I, I, yet? Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can, I, you can, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Like, you're, you obviously, if you want to have a quality product, the investment has to be there, and you don't want to be playing around with something that is subpar. If the end result you have in your mind, the end result needs to be premium quality, top level. So yeah. it absolutely makes sense that you'd be, be you'd be wanting to use the best materials or the best manufacturers or the best people involved to get your project where you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. And at the, at the same time, uh, you see that there, the, like three D printing is uh, metal printing is on the market for about twelve years, maybe maybe a little, little bit longer, maybe a little bit less longer, but uh, something like that. And um, and you can see that there's a constant development. So. Over over the years, I have worked with this technology. You can uh, I, I I have seen that there are many manufacturers uh, uh, like announcing new machines with a with a little bit higher position. So it's 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 really pushing forward uh, the the quality. Uh, and lately, there has been a development which has uh, which is called metal binder jetting, which is a kind of a sintering uh, process, and um, uh, and that's. Like much more precise than uh, selective laser melting, which I used to uh, work with. Um, so, so you always need to be focused on what's new on the market to get a better quality because it's so uh, so dynamic still. Um, yeah. 
And, and so thinking about 3D printing, um, it, it's obviously, uh, I would assume, it's reasonably complex and quite technologically, te- technological, sorry. Um, but are there many limitations to what you can do from a from pr- producing a watch from a 3D printer or producing the case from a 3D printer? You know, what, are, are there limitations or, or can you just do whatever you like? Um, I, this is actually a good question because... People think that with 3D printing, you can create anything you want. Um, But it depends a lot on the technology, the the exact technology you are using. For example, the um, selective laser melting, which is uh, one of the older types of metal printing. Um, You have to, uh, you need support structures supporting the object during the printing process. And basically those are uh, like columns underneath your uh, your product to to emit the heat and the gravity during the process and these columns they um well they they shouldn't interfere with your model um so so you need to design something which is already very smartly in its shape that it supports itself maximum uh, to, to a maximum and then for the extreme I don't know, the extreme uh, details or extreme parts, uh, there you need the support. So limit limit the amount of supports is best, but those supports you need to remove afterwards. And if, if they interfere with your model, then you have to do a lot of, 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 of post-processing to get them out, for example. So, so that's a big limitation and it ha- all has to do with the heat that builds up during the process and the, and the gravity, because you are printing, you're actually, it's a, it's a process of micro welding so uh, uh, specialist powders are uh, stacked onto each other, like in, in layers of, uh, let's say, 0.25 millimeters high. And then a laser is melting them together. So uh, th- the reason why the machines are, are relatively big uh, compared to, or in comparison to their actual printing capacity is that, that you need to have uh, cooling fans, you need to have uh, argon gas uh, uh, to, to prevent like explosions, which can happen with metal powders, of course. Um, so so it's, uh, it's a, like a controlled chamber where the printing uh, process uh, takes place. And, uh, and, and you are actually mel- melting metal. Um, and that also means that the, the type of metal you use brings in new conditions so as a designer you also need to know the limitations of the of the process and at the same time the 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 metal you are working with and it often means yeah. that you need to experiment so um because yeah. even even the manufacturers don't really know <laughs> exactly how to work it and and every design has different shapes so that that means that every design you have you need to test because you can't fully predict predict what how it's going to be uh, uh how the result is going to be. Yeah. All right. I, I want to talk about the uh, the raw ornament because it, it is just a, um, a stunning watch uh, on many levels. And I, I love the, the different um, the different finishing with the sort of the, the raw textured part and then the polished lugs. And um, it, it's just a, an absolute beautiful watch. So I do, I, I did want to ask about the design from this and and how did how did you come to designing this watch um in, in particular i mean the case shapes uh you know you've now got a new case which is fantastic as well um but this one here is sort of what i know uh your brand to be so yeah. far anyway 
Um, but yeah, where where did the the case shape the lugs? How did it all come about? Well, it's it. Well, I, my first design was the ornament one, which has a full polished case, and um, uh, that's that's important. It's it's important to tell a little bit about that case also because. I wanted to make a very um, classical, very stylish watch. So I was thinking of a, a full polished uh, exterior. Um, and because of the, the 3D printing, I could, I could um, like emit all unnecessary mass. So therefore it's skeletonized on the side, but still when you look at it from the front, it's a very classical shape. Um, the the locks are the, the case is printed straight upwards and the locks are uh, bending outwards uh, towards uh, towards the case band uh, in in a quite expressive way and that shape is uh, is actually to uh, to help emitting the heat during the printing process so it looks very classical and at the same time it helps uh, in, in the process um, so so that's that's a little bit of the technical side but then when I launched that model I got a, well. Over, over the years, I got a lot of people asking me, why would you use uh, 3D printing for this, uh, for this, man, uh, for making a watch? Because it, the, the exterior of that watch is fully hand finished. Um, the result of printing is uh, quite, uh, quite rough and you can't, you can't just use it without any finishing as a watch case because it just looks cheap or unfinished or so. Uh, so I need to do a lot of, Hand, handicraft actually and um, people are asking me why would you do that because it's uh, it takes a lot of time it's very expensive and uh, uh, and, and still uh, you start with a very very rough beginning while while you with CNC milling you can have a almost finished watch after the after the milling process so um, I was I was always in conflict with that question because for me it's not the point of efficiency in in like in the higher segments of the watch market right uh, any watch above 20 euros is uh, or 20 dollars is is too too much for, for just telling the time so <laughs> too expensive right um so so for me it wasn't the point but i got that question a lot so i thought i thought of well now i'm going to make a watch which expresses the beauty and the interesting sides of 3d printing which was basically the ornament one but then with a rough case um but to show that it's that it's really part of the aesthetics of the design like the the, the process is part of the aesthetics of the design um i needed to finish some parts because then you can balance it and then people will know that it's that it's deliberately done. Um, so therefore, I, I I made the 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 lugs like the edges of the lugs. I made them thicker so I could finish them uh, by hand to a polished uh, uh, like polished exterior. Um, and then have still like a ninety percent of the exterior uh, uh, very rough. And um, and it actually I, 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 I personally I like the design, but it was also kind of a statement that using 3d printing is very interesting in terms of design and in terms of also in terms of texture which which comes out of the printer uh for for me textures are part of of designs always period because then you have like it's it's shape it's one thing it's finishing is also a, a, an important thing but using the materials and using the the, the specific textures of the materials or of the processes is, is part of, uh, uh, of of telling the story of how the watch is made. So it's it's important in design. So so this watch expresses the uh, the three D printing process. It expresses that it's hand finished, 
um, and it's and it's a bold statement. So, <laughs> so I yeah. think I think I, I know right now that that model is more popular than the Ornament One, and I, I yeah. think that's uh, that's for a reason, and I, I'm, I'm quite proud of it. And and so so it's it's part of a process. So working with this technology also for me is a is a process of thinking maybe rather classical and then becoming more modernist during of, over time uh, because I myself are discovering the possibilities of the of the process and also the beauty of the of the process um, so 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 it's it's the next step right after the ornament one and and the ornament two in my opinion is 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 therefore maybe also again the next step it doesn't mean that the ornament Ornament one or raw ornament is uh, is less, but it's uh, it's just like a constant search in in design and in possibilities for me. Yeah. I hope that's somewhat clear because I'm uh, well. It's sometimes <laughs> difficult to <laughs> no, express. Huh? Out, outlined it. I I understood it. I I think the marriage between the technology and the design and then your input into the process it's it's perfectly represented by Holt and Rick's watches. Um, I wanted to ask you, a friend of the show, Mo, who was on the Robin Regulator show, he said that when the creator sits down with a blank piece of paper, that is the most exciting part of the creative process. And I just <laughs> wanted to ask you, what was the most exciting part of your process in, in coming to a, a design or a, ah. to the final product of a watch? Uh, I tend to agree with, uh, with Mo um, because uh, for me, the... The first steps in the design are most interesting. I, I, I still, like, I, before the show, I told you I wanted to become an architect because I was always drawing. Um, and still, it's, it's the thing I like most. So um, having new ideas and making pencil drawings, uh, that's, for me, the most exciting step. Then I feel my creativity in that sense. And then, of course, it's very beautiful to get it, to, to, to get seeing your your ideas to, uh, into into metal like literally uh but the the most interesting thing for me is the the beginning of the creative process fantastic huh. and just i wanted to ask what were what were some of the what were the, what was the hardest part of the journey for you becoming a, a you know a watch brand and a watchmaker ah. what, what was the most difficult bit i th i think Becoming a watch brand and becoming a watchmaker are two different things. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the hardest bit in creating my first watch was the experimenting with the with the manufacturing process. Um, so that's when when you talk about becoming a watchmaker, I guess. Um, experimenting with the technologies I often had well oh, it took two and a half years to experiment with uh, uh, with three D printing before we had the ornament one. And uh, I often thought of quitting because it, it, it sometimes was so disappointing. Um, I never had doubts about the technical, my technical skills in watchmaking itself, like uh, restoring movements, etc. Because that's something you can, if if you're really dedicated, you can, and you put a lot of time in it, you can learn it. Of course, you, have, you need to have some flexible hands, but um, but that was the hardest hardest part in becoming a watchmaker. Uh, becoming a watch brand is a very different thing. And I, I noticed that uh, it takes a lot of time 
um, before people get to know you. And then it takes a lot of time be before people appreciate what you are doing. Um, so the first reactions, especially since I'm using this 3D printing uh, technology, is that the first question uh, or the first reactions were very critical and very um, yeah, negative almost. Um, so and that without I, I, <laughs> now I'm used to that, but uh, that was quite hard for me because you're 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 doing something, you put all effort and passion into a project, and then people just uh, yeah aren't are negative about it, which is of course very painful. But it's also something which I learned is part of the of the process and and is part of being unknown. Um, and uh, so I think that takes time and. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think I, 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 I prefer being a watch designer and a watchmaker than making a brand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to make a brand. And, and we'll just talk a little bit about your movements because you, you offer, um, you know, they're, they're hand-wound movements and you, you offer skeletonization and uh, finishing and all sorts of different things. Yeah. Um, which is which is great, and you know, uh, there's nothing like a beautiful thin hand wound movement where you get up in the morning, you're connected to your watch, you wind it up, and it's just, yeah, you know, it's just a, a, a great thing. But are, are you finding that um, people are wanting the workmanship done on the movement, or are people happy with the the, the standard sort of the, the the basic caliber that that you offer? Um, yeah, um, well, I I. I work with the Peso 7001, so uh, uh, like mm -hmm. ETA makes it nowadays. Um, yeah. It's a very, it's the thinnest movement on the market, and that's the reason why I, I have chosen it, uh, because it makes a very thin design, of course. Um, I started experimenting with finishing the movement because I, uh, well, it, it takes so much effort to finish my cases that I thought I need to do something on the movements also to get it balanced. And then I discovered that I really, really like uh, watch movement finishing. Um, uh, so, so uh, I think that's become that that has become a part of part of my trade, so to say. Um, nowadays, I don't sell the the normal uh, like factory finished movement anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like everybody, yeah. even if they are ordering the ornament one. Uh, which normally comes with the factory finished uh, elaboré movement. Uh, they asked me if I could finish the movement, um, and and actually it's 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 interesting because uh, it doesn't do anything technical to the movements, so it's only decoration. Um, but it's it's much more beautiful, and people and I'm very happy that people are buying stuff because of beauty. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point in watches, like in my opinion. Um, we'll go to a couple of questions from the community now. So I, uh, I talked to a few people about some questions that they might have had for you. And, um, and one of them was, um, and it can be topical sometimes, but are you, are you ever thinking about moving to producing your own movement sometime in the future? Or would you prefer to focus on the, the case and the design and the dials? Uh, that's, that's a good question and very relevant. Um, mm -hmm. to make a like, I, I think in English it's called whole story design when you when you have a concept which uh, which actually has effect on all components of of your design. Um, yeah. in in from 
from that view, I really want to create also uh, the movement um, because then you can control the the looks and the aesthetics of the movement to, yeah. to from the very basics. Um, so since I started my company, since then I was always dreaming of making my own uh, uh, watch movement, and uh, uh, I started. Uh, I started with the first ideas, like sketching the first ideas in 2017 for cr the creation of a very simple uh, movement. And uh, um, I'm now at the point that it's technically almost finished. So the design is almost finished. And uh, within wow. uh, like half a year's time, uh, I hope to have a prototype. And then uh, 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 let's say in one year's time, I hope it to be uh, finished and, and on the market. Um, yeah, cool. and I have two clients already for it. Um, so nice. that's, that's, yeah, that's super great. They, they, they bought, uh, they bought the piece, uh, based on trust, which is so special. Um, but yeah, I, I, from that point as a designer, I really want to also design the movement. And I think for the future, uh, also with regards, uh, uh of 3d printing, then, the first step is to make the movement conventionally, but have it beautifully finished and up to my uh, my design. Um, but the next step would be to experiment also with 3D printing inside of the movement, which is uh, very yeah. difficult because you need a super high precision of a few thousands of a millimeter. Yeah, which is hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so that question was from Roman. And the other question you, is from Alex, uh, which is, uh, what would you like to see as the the future of watchmaking and where do you want to see things going ah well that that's a question that's actually uh referring <laughs> to the question i would like to ask also to, yeah. to the listeners um sure. i hope and i think that watches will become uh like part of the art world so it it becomes more and more it becomes art so for me, I'm, I'm personally, I'm not interested in diver's watches for the sake of a diver's watch, of having a diver's watch, of with the idea that I'm going to be a professional diver or something. Uh, neither do I buy a Flieger watch because of uh, I, I like airplanes, right? So for me, that's 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 a little too simple. I'm sorry if I uh, if I <laughs> disappoint somebody, but <laughs> uh, offend somebody, but. Um, uh, I'm neither am I interested in timekeeping, like like a watch being an instrument. It obviously it has to be an instrument and it has to be accurate. But for me, it's more about the watch as a piece of art, which you can always wear with you. So uh, it, when you're going, when you're inside in your house, when you're traveling, you can always have it with you, and you have you have a piece of craftsmanship, a piece of art, and uh, something you can appreciate all the time. And uh, uh, so, so therefore, I hope that it will always be something which is like inspiring, creative, uh, innovative, and uh, and and beautiful. Uh, and I and I hope also that the watchmakers uh, and and independent watchmakers, but also the bigger brands, will will acknowledge that position of the yeah. wristwatch in, in nowadays society and then and and and, ex, and keep on experimenting and brands i really like are of course mbmf uh, but also the Betune, uh arnold and son those those kind of 
very modernist and progressive brands uh, in, in terms of design, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so I hope that's the future for 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 watchmaking. Yeah, cool. Well, do you want to now? Uh, you want to ask uh, us a question, or you know what I think I'll do is. I'll, I'll put a post up on Instagram and I'll, I'll put the question to it and we can get some of the community to comment on it and, and see what they think from your question here. So over to you, Michael, what's your question for us? <laughs> so, okay, this, this, this directly has to do with the, with, with the previous question from the listener is that what is the future of, of watches and what is the future of watch design in that sense? So we, we, uh, I'm, I'm, we see a lot of homage watches on uh, watches on the market. Uh, things of nostalgia. Uh, you see that Rolex watches are are reaching like unlimited values, etc. While it's only a Rolex, uh, so to say. Uh, so, so what's the position of a watch in the future? What will it become art, or will it become this tool? Uh, this homage uh, kind of piece, and um, uh, or, or will it become more rather rather like a unique, unique expression of artism. Um, it's a little bit fake, but I think also that 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 it might be a little bit fake because <laughs> uh, when it becomes when it when it's when is a thing art, right? And in my opinion, is uh, is uh, something is art when when it's beautiful. It has beauty. It has a, a sculptural side. It has a philosophy behind it, and um, uh, well, all those kind of aspects which reaches a deeper level than just being a certain tool watch or being an investment piece or something. Yeah. All right. So I'll go first, Finny, and then you can you can have a go at this one. So I I. Um, what I'm finding, especially from my collecting and over the years, is my my tastes are changing. And, and even Michael, we talked about this a little bit about um, someone you know as well that their tastes change over time. And, and even there was a podcast that was launched today on on um, Fifth Wrist Radio that was a chat with some of the lads the other night, and they were talking about um, how people get into Rolex, and, and quite often. Um, you know, they'll, they'll start at, say, a Tag Heuer, then they, they get into Rolex, then they go away from Rolex. And some people come back, some people stay away. And I think it, it depends on what what uh, type of collector you are. But, but my tastes are fastly developing into craftsmanship and um, design and the the ethos behind people's companies and what they stand for. And, you know, it, it's it's you know Rolex is such a monopoly, and so yeah. are a lot of the other big brands. But they're they're you're producing the same watches in in sometimes hundreds and thousands of of um, um, editions or not editions, but um, you know numbers of watches. That there's no there's no um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's just it's the same as everyone else, yeah. and there's no sort of um, not authenticity, um, but I think, you know, I, I don't want to have always the watch that someone else has. I, I want to have something that I can look down and go, yeah, this is fantastic. So I think my tastes are changing. And I really hope that that companies like yourself that are seriously innovating in this industry, because, you know, it's quite often said that the, the Swiss watch industry sometimes it can be a little bit... Um, 
slow to move yeah. forward and you know it's taken them a long time and now we've got the, the likes of you know people you said mbnf de Bethune, yeah. um you know people like that that are just doing such such cool stuff and i think that for me moving forward is i you know and, and i have a few rolexes and i i do love them they're, they're great watches and yeah, they've got a lot of meaning to me and and all that kind of stuff but i'm now finding myself just wanting to go for the independence because i think that the individualism is the word i was looking for before yeah. around you know that's becoming more important to me and the fact that that you know not a huge uh, company is putting this together, but a couple of people or one person or, you know, whatever it is. So for me, the design language is super important and I want to be different. I don't want to be like everyone else. Um, so yeah, that's where I think, I I hope that people can grow to appreciate brands like yourself um, more into the future because we, we need to keep brands like you alive because it's super important because you are innovative and you're innovating the industry, which is very important to me because that's what's going to keep it continuing on and then potentially yeah. being art. It is art, right? It's art on your wrist. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's sort of my opinion. Vinny, what do you think? Um, I think you covered that really well, Anth. Uh, I agree with much of what you said about Rolexes are a mass-produced... We'll take Rolexes as an example. They are a mass-produced product and they they appeal to many, many people. But when you get something that's so intimate like Mikel's watches or your Habering Anth. It's just a different feeling and a different ball game altogether uh, when you can experience watches and art on a different level rather than point A being this is a really well-made product but then B emotionally being wow, a handful of people put this together and it's really fantastic. And I'd love to see more of that or more coverage of it rather than the the bigger brands that obviously have access to more funds and can sort of sell sell the, the dream like this this is it this is the pinnacle but there's actually a lot more to horology in in the collecting hobby um, rather than those big pieces but if we look at the landscape of de- watch design at the moment um Mikhail, you mentioned uh homage watches or uh, mm-hmm. immediately in my head watches with uh faux patina or uh yeah fake patina came to mind immediately for me because i own a pelagos lhd which has a hint of it and I think we see a lot of it now. Everything, every every watch seems to be a throwback or a, a reissue of some sort. I think this particular period will just be known as, you know, 2020 and a few years prior was the period where people went reissue crazy. And yeah. I think people will go back to, it's like, it's like in the 70s, everything was integrated bracelets and luxury yeah. steel sports watches, which has also come back now. But yeah. I think there'll be there'll be the period, and then like like the seven, and then again like bold colors um, were used in the seventies, and then integrated bracelets, and then now will be the Fotina period, and that's what this and the Fotina and Steel Rolex crazy period will be not what it's known for. But you know what's interesting about all of that is what you just said then, Vinny, really sort of made sense. Where if you think back, and Mikel was talking about it before that. Um, you know, the first uh, people that viewed the watch that he made, that was quite negative and they're quite shocked. And, and you know, that we, what we've got to remember is there's a point in time where things shift and there's always that first point that is the most difficult and where people don't like change. And, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. when Gerald Genta came out with the Royal Oak in 72, everyone thought this guy's crazy, he's nuts. <laughs> and here we are 50 years later 
and it's the star of the show and yeah. everyone loves it. So, you know, we often, and, and, you know, the code 1159 is a very similar, um, you know, watch because in, I can almost guarantee you in 20 years time, yeah. that watch will be an absolute stunner to anyone that looks at it when originally people thought it was, you know, a Tissot. Um, and so, so for you, Mikael, it's just, you can't, you can't, you know, it's, it always hurts to hear those things, but I can, you can almost think in 10, 10 years time when the homages are done and the steel sports craze and the blue dials finished and all that kind of stuff, people are going to go, wow, look at this lug design, look at this case design and it's 3d printed, um, you know, and, and, and this guy's just doing amazing stuff that, that people aren't doing. And yeah, I want a piece of that. And that's what, I think is going to happen. And well, I hope that happens anyway, because that's where the the industry needs to go. And there's a lot of people doing some fantastic stuff that don't get enough recognition. Well, anyway. I, if I may add a, a, a few things. And I, I think this is, uh, this is an interesting time. Also, uh, if you look to other objects, uh, objects other than watches, is I think that the whole society is changing. And there are a few things which, uh, which actually, well, provoke or, or actually cause this change. And in the first place, it's the internet, of course. So people are more uh, informed about how a watch is made, etc. Um, people are also getting more connected to the niche kind of things. Uh, so you can, you can evolve your own niche interests. Um, and for, for an independent watchmaker, that's, that's just beautiful because you can, you can find your clients that way. Um, I think another thing, oh yeah, so about society. So so the internet is changing a lot of things. And I also think that you mentioned individuality. Um, maybe it's also because of the internet that that is like, that is getting stronger and stronger, that, that phenomena. And, uh, uh, and that makes that you, you where maybe in earlier times, one would be, would be one one wanted to become part of the group to be accepted nowadays it's much more swifting towards like being original like being authentic in that sense um to be accepted or to be cool or to be a leader or whatever so i think i think that is really changing in society and i think uh uh what is the strong position of the of the independent watchmaker nowadays is that you have you have the ability to stay put to your own beliefs and uh, you don't have uh, like a su super high overhead cost or maybe investors you have to please, etc. Uh, so you, you are less stuck to your own legacy, so to say. Um, and I think a lot of brands are actually coping with that and, and, and that might become a problem in the future because people are searching for these uh, unique pieces and that's also the reason why why you saw this uh, fake uh, why you see this fake patinas is that it creates uh, some kind of it, it's an in-between situation where people want something unique but at the same time they want to have a known a well-known design so you see these fake fake uh, rolex designs or homemade rolex designs with fa with fake patina so it's still a kind of rolex but then it's uh, then it it has the patina and it's original or something. So I think that's just symbolizing a change in the in in in, in society. Yeah. Um, 
But I also think that I think mass production and even more so as we move out of COVID-19 and coronavirus and the impacts that that's had on the global economy and just the way we think and do and lots more countries now will start um, you know, producing more products in inside their own borders and I hope being so. able to control. Yeah, me too. And and but I, but I think as well, like one of the things, and you mentioned clothing before, and and I'm I'm it's it, it's cool to hear that from you because clothing is such a an interesting topic as well. And I'm not highly into fashion, but what I'm finding myself gravitating towards now is the quality and yeah. the craftsman that goes into. I will spend I two second or three that. times the <laughs> amount of money. Yeah, I will spend so much money on a pair of pants, but I know they've been made with a lot of care. Um, that, you know, they're not made from a humongous factory in the middle of, you know, anyway, I don't need to say it. Um, but, you know, that, that pair of pants, they're going to last me 10 or 20 years. Um, and that's what I want. That's the craftsmanship that I think mass production misses. Although to Rolex's defense, and I think Rolex is just a, they're a different company to everyone else in so many ways that they don't do homage. They don't, they never look back. They only look forward. They make very high quality products on a mass production scale, which in a lot of ways that is rare to get the quality, the precision, the, the marketing, like they just do it all right. Um, and so they're a bit different, but if you look at everyone else, it's sort of, you know, but it, yeah, it, it's just, a. I, I find myself, you know, I want to look into custom knives and getting things made from a craftsman that I don't know that that knife will last me my whole life plus lot more. Um, so yeah, I, I hope, and I can see society and even the, the generation under myself. So the millenniums, uh, millennials, sorry, are, they're much more savvy around what they do and they'd prefer to buy quality over um you know price and i always have lived by the saying that the 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 quality is remembered long after the price is forgotten yeah yeah and <laughs> absolutely it, agree. it's so true <laughs> it, it 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 happens so anyway this uh this has turned into a quite an interesting conversation which i like very good very good um all right cool well i think um I think we can start to wrap up now and have a look at uh, people to go follow on Instagram while we're, while we're talking about uh, being like everyone else. Uh, but uh, we'll start with you, Mikkel. So who, uh, who is someone that everyone should go follow after they're finished listening to the podcast? Okay. Well, I was struggling with this question, as you know, sure. so I will take mm -hmm. the liberty to uh, name two pages. <laughs> Okay, um, sure. The first of all is uh, on our horological field is horological tools because uh, yeah every watchmaker is is really digging these old tools and the quality of the old tools etc and this page uh, is just a big inspiration and it's also very informative it tells a lot about the history and uh, about the the functionality of the tools so it's not about uh, a watch collector or whatever it's just about tools the second thing uh, which i uh, like uh, uh, even better is uh, uh, the page called uh, socialist modernism and um it's uh, it's about socialist like uh, communist architecture which is super raw very brutal and by that at the same time very inspiring and very uh artistic and and yeah i don't know it's, it's just such a big inspiration for me in my in my design so um yeah and you can see it too like i said to you before when i had a look you can see 
some of your design language coming from this architectural design buildings. And, and I, I, it, it's quite interesting that this is, you know, communist buildings, because when you look at the, the ethos of communism and the fact that everything needs to be the same, and then you see some of these structures that are just, you know, what were they thinking when they were designing things like this is really, really cool. Really cool. Um, cool. Thank you very much for that. And Vinny, what about you? Who, uh, who should we go follow this week? So I'm going to recommend a good friend of ours, Anthony, Den Kamenev, mm-hmm. and his ah, yes. handle is Kamenev Photography. Um, he is into really niche Soviet pieces that he finds, eBay, Etsy, like just off, just like real left field pieces um, that have incredible history, uh, particularly to do with space. Um, and yeah, the passion is unreal. And obviously for his own heritage, the connection is strong and all-around lovely guy above all else. Um, always love chatting to him. So that's Kamenev yeah. Photography. Beautiful. That's a great one. So it's K-A-M-A-N-E-V Photography. E- Is that right? N-E-V. N-E-V. Cool. All right. We'll put the links in the show notes anyway. Uh, so mine this week is a, um, uh, a a handle by the name of Not the most northern and every space is a underscore. So not underscore the underscore most underscore northern. And I'm beginning to think that every single person that owns a Tudor Black Bay 36 is an awesome photographer because there are so many accounts out there where people own these watches and they just take amazing photos. Um, So yeah, he's, uh, he's just awesome, awesome photographer. He's got a really cool collection. Um, and uh, yeah, someone worth following because he can just take a photo that is uh, is is really really worth having a look at. Um, awesome. Well, I think uh, I think we can leave it there. Was that fun, Michael? Yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Cool. No, it's my pleasure. And as I said to you before, I I hope that someday soon I can get my hands on a a raw ornament. Um, maybe when the dollar gets a little bit better and everyone yeah. recovers from COVID nineteen. But uh, you know, I've I've loved your your watches since I first saw them, and that's been quite a quite a long time ago. I've been following you for a long time. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep coming up with with new designs, new things, and and don't listen to the haters because they're probably just wearing a Rolex and don't know what they're talking about anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know better by now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. Uh, it's our absolute pleasure to have you along, Michael. So thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing, and I really look forward to seeing this movement that you're you're working on. So thank you for sharing that with us. It's uh, it's it's really cool to to talk to someone like you in the industry. And yeah, thank you. Thank you too. All right, guys, um, head over to, you know, don't forget, please like, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review as well. We've had uh, quite a, a couple of reviews there that are fantastic and we like to take on any feedback that you've got. But go and review one of your watches. It's so much fun. You feel like you're working at one of those big uh, companies that start with a H that produce lots of content. It can be a lot of fun. Take some photos, have some fun with it and tell us what you really think about your watch. All the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, we want to hear about it. So thank you again. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks, Mikkel. Everyone else, stay on time.
fifth wrist is by the community for the community. We would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack. Email us at contact at fifthwrist.com and join the movement.